right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Meant to be the last one of 2020, ended up being the first one of 2021. Hey, but it's all good. And more importantly, it is episode number 311. And, you know, you have to give a shout out, of course, to Christy Rampone for her 311 caps for the U.S. Women's National Team, ranging from 1997 to 2015, second only in the world to Christine Lilly. Uh, but we'll also give a shout out using that number to Yuki Nagasato, who, due to injury, played only 311 minutes in her very first season with the Chicago Red Stars in 2017, and she still managed in those 311 minutes to earn the league's quickest red card. All right, two chats in this episode. First, um, I talked with Bill Predmore, the original owner and still a partial owner of the Rain franchise, Seattle Rain FC, Rain FC, OL Rain. Um, I wanted to talk to Bill Predmore because the Rain franchise is the only NWSL franchise uh, that's still still around. It's still an independent and it was in a new market that there had not been a WPS or WSA team in that market. That was one of the reasons I was wanting to talk to Bill. So we, we talked about a little bit of their history and, and talked a little bit about the future too. Then I chatted with the vice president of Lou city ladies, um, had a great time talking to Amber about this group that was founded before there was a hint of Louisville having a an NWSL team. This group was founded partly social club, partly place for women who want to support men's soccer or just soccer in general um, to have a social outlet. And so now they're um, embracing NWSL. So had a lot of fun talking to Amber. And of course, between these two chats is a Jen's Blainer segment. This one is on the slots for the 2023 Women's World Cup. This will be the first Women's World Cup to have 32 teams. So FIFA just recently announced how those how those slots of 32 would be divided among the various confederations. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Bill Predmore from OL Rain, previously Rain FC, previously Seattle Rain FC. Bill, you've been part of NWSL, part of this league since the league, you know, was announced back in fall 2012. Um, it's been a long eight years. It's been a short eight years. But I was just thinking, I need to talk. I need to talk to Bill Predmore because you've got, you know, I. I like to to find these kind of weird little stat things, but it's the only original franchise not owned by an MLS franchise and not in a market that previously had a fully pro women's team. So welcome, Bill Predmore. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. <laughs> so can you believe it's been eight years since you guys got started in, in, in Seattle and now Tacoma? Uh, no, uh, you know, it doesn't, it, I mean, I, I, I suppose it's like everything, right? On one hand, it feels like it's been a hundred years. On the other hand, it you know it feels like it's gone very very quickly. So, um, so no is the is the short answer. I, I wouldn't have uh, you know said it feels like exactly like eight years. <laughs> and what memories do you have of that that fall? Like, um, 
deciding the name or making the announcements or the decision, you know, for you and your wife to say, we want to invest in this? Yeah, it was a exciting and, you know, an, an emotional time, right? That the, um, you know, and I'll admit, right, I wasn't, I was, I would say I was probably following closely the, you know, sort of the drama around WPS. So I, I really came in, you know, and I guess the, the demise of WPS. So I sort of came in after all that had happened that, um, uh, you know, I got, I guess, suppose I got in, you know, uh, my phone is talking to me there. You know, can we, can we start with that one over my sure. theory here was, I'll take my watch off so it doesn't think I'm trying to communicate with it. Um, <laughs> can you re- re- just re- share yeah. the question one more time? I apologize. Yeah. So what memories do you have of, of that fall? The, you know, the decision to get involved, you and your wife saying, hey, we want to invest in this, you know, having to decide, you know, where are we going to play? What are we going to name the team? Um, you know, a lot, lot of big decisions. I mean, what, what was it that got you guys involved in NWSL? Yeah, so I, you know, I think it was uh, it was a you know a, a little bit of a crazy, <laughs> crazy experience, and you know, but it, but in the the best possible way. I think when you're creating a new business or you know you're starting a new endeavor, there's um, it's always a little nuts, but there's this you know, sort of adrenaline um, and optimism that goes along with it. So I, I, you know, I think we we definitely went into this project, you know, feeling that way, um, you, you know, in some ways. I, you know, we we came in with a, a little bit of a different viewpoint in that, you know, I think almost all, if not all, of the um, you know other founding members, at least at the, you know at the, at the very outset, um, they had experience either in, in um, you know WPS or um, I think uh, you know Bill Lynch had the uh, DC United W League team. So um, you know, I came in you know really knowing you know, nothing. Um, I guess, I guess I can admit now in hindsight and, uh, you know, but it, you know, none of this, you know, I think scars from, from going through the, you know, through the battles before. So, you know, the learning curve was, was steep, I think, um, you know, was helped along by, you know, Arnhem at Chicago. I think Mike Soler, who, who ran Boston, was Mike that, you know, that, you know, first approached us, um, you know, about getting involved and, and I think learned learned a lot from them initially, and um, yeah, I mean, just it's it, you know, it was a it was a it was a pretty incredible time to you know to have it all come together, and um, you know, never I you know I, you know I suppose and you know you're you're sort of thinking and imagining about what this can be, you know, I feel like it probably you know it, it exceeded our our expectations here, you know, or going into it. So you know, again, heading into season nine just seems incredible given the history of you know of women's soccer in the United States. And and going into season nine, I think it's incredible that the Reigns still have three players on the roster who have been with the club every season. Um and you know, nine years or I mean it will be nine years, that that's one thing. But when you think about a young league, teams coming and going, players coming and going, uh, you know, to look and see that Jess Fishlock, Lauren Barnes, Megan Rapino are still part of the the Rain roster, have always been part of the Rain roster. Uh, you know that that's really impressive. And again, coming from a club that wasn't associated with an MLS club or a USL club or a W League club, you know, didn't already have 
resources in place. So, you know, what do you, what do you think it is that has, you know, led those players to stick with it? You know, and, and there was also, you know, Kirsten Dahlstrom was there for several seasons, um, Bevianas for several seasons, right? And, and I love that you've got Stephanie yeah. Cox coming back. You know, it's, it's like, <laughs> talk about, you know, what, what's in the water there that's uh, creating that, that stability of the roster. Yeah, actually, I mean, I would mention to you, you know, Michelle Betis was with us the first season, and then we just, um, you know, we just lost in the expansion draft, which was a huge surprise for us, huge loss for the team. Um, and then, yeah, Steph officially it, uh, came in that first season, so she she was pregnant when the you know season started in you know in thirteen, but um, mm-hmm. I think officially was on our roster. So in you know, and then she you know stepped away from the game for a couple of years. So I, in some ways, yeah, I guess we're she, she should count as a you know as, a, as an original there. Um, <laughs> you know, in, you know, in terms of why, I mean, I don't know. I think we've you know we got you know in some ways very lucky um, that you know all, all of the you know the, the players that you just mentioned there are. Um, I mean, they're they're so different as individuals, but I think they, um, you know, they they they, they sort of sh- you know share this you know the common element of it just being like really outstanding people, and it's made it I think easy for us to, you know to work together, right? I, I don't think you know over that time there's been any you know sort of material conflicts along the way, and um, you know again I'd I'd, I'd like to. Um, strike it up to some genius move, but I think a, a huge part of it was was luck. And um, you know, I, I will say if I'm going to attribute any um, you know sort of strategy behind it, I mean, it, you know, Laura Harvey had obviously you know, played against Jess, I think, um, you know, in England, so knew what she could bring at least on the field. Um, so uh, and and probably she came in at a, at about the right age where you can have this you know nine or ten year you know. You know, run with a single team. And mm-hmm. Lou, um, you know, probably a similar situation was, you know, I think Laura, um, you know, was aware of her, probably not as much as um, with Jess, but, you know, picked her out of somebody she thought could, um, you know, make a contribution. And then, you know, Pino, of course, was was assigned to us um, in that original allocation. So, um, you know, I, I, I would I really give the credit to, yeah, to, you know, to Laura and then to the players themselves that they've, um, you know, I have, I have appreciated their loyalty at a time where that um, characteristic is, is, is pretty uncommon. And, you know, all of them, Pino and, you know, and Justin have all had opportunities to go elsewhere and, um, you know, certainly deserve the right to, you know, earn the right to play wherever. And I'm um, appreciative that they've decided to, you know, to, to stick around for so long and because, uh, you know, we certainly haven't, you know, haven't always made it easy for them. There's been a lot of change with the club and, um, you know, I think it, it, it's appreciated. They've stuck by us all along. Well, I remember reading something uh, probably would have been 2014, 2015. Uh, I think it was a comment from you saying like realizing, um, you know, things that some of the the players that weren't based in the Seattle area, they didn't have, it's like, Oh, that player needs a mattress, you know, I'll buy a mattress. So, you know, how, how can we make, you know, these players lives easier? And I think, um, 
clubs don't always, and by clubs, I mean any club, whether it's men, women's, you know, any sport, they don't always realize that there, there's a lot of things not related directly to compensation that you can do to make it easier for a player, right? Um, and, it, and it's been great to see how the minimum salary has increased, but I think in some ways it's even more important that we're seeing, okay, players are guaranteed housing for the entire year, right? So they don't have that stress of, well, the season's over, now I have to find somewhere else to live. You know, all, all of those little things that add up over the years that, um, you know, can can make it bearable for someone to say, all right, I don't mind making a little bit less money because I'm taking care of this way, you know, and, and I'm playing the game I love. Um, and I'm sure you've seen that, you know, on, on the front lines. It's sometimes it's the intangibles that really make the difference. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, I think sometimes, and again, I'll say my experience in professional sports is, you know, is, is limited to the NBSL, so I'm sort of r- r- reluctant to make sort of a global statement here. But the, you know, my it, my experience has been a little bit that for for whatever reason, sometimes in sports like these, the the, the very basics of management, whether you're you know you're, you're managing in a grocery store or a hair salon or a doctor's office or talk, like it's for some reason these you know sort of basic rules don't apply to sports and. Um, which I always, you know, sort of found interesting, and I didn't, and never really understood it. So I think we've say that, and then have tried to run, you know, the club like one would run any other business. And a huge piece of that, maybe the biggest piece, is creating an environment where your most important important assets, which of course are your people, um, but you know, they like coming in, and you know, every day and working for you. So, uh, you know, I. I, I, I will say, you know, most of the time I'm, you know, sort of kicking myself for the places that we failed in delivering that because um, it's, you know, it's certainly not perfect. And, and every single day, I think, you know, we screwed this up or could have done this better, or, you know, whatever, this area is not good enough. Um, but, you know, I think there has been a, you know, there, there has been a genuine desire to create an environment, player experience. Um, the, you know, that is the best um, that, that, that it could possibly be, right? And I, I think for us, there was an element of that very early on. We realized that, you know, sort of just beyond the basic humanity of it, that, like, of course, we want to treat people well and we want them to be happy doing what they're doing. Um, but seeing, you know, as you pointed out, that was, as it turns out, that it's, it's not always the case, right? Teams don't always take that approach. And, you know, we've, you know, we looked at our, you know, let's say our infrastructure, we compared to someplace like Portland and go, okay, well, I, I can't build a stadium, right? I can't, I can't control that piece, which, right. um, you know, let's say would benefit the players, but I, I do have control over, um, you know, those little day-to-day things that, you know, that make a difference for players. So we've, you know, we kind of solved the problems that we were capable of solving, um, you know, and then second, and, you know, I guess this is probably true for, almost anybody that works anywhere, right? Like they're, you know, they're, they're, they're more likely to be loyal. They're more likely to perform at a high level if they've, again, if they feel like they're being treated well. And, you know, particularly in the early days, uh, you know, nobody played professional women's soccer because they were getting rich off doing it, right? They, they did right. it because they loved it. And, um, and, and I think, you know, again, largely that's still the case. But, you know, so it wasn't really about it was never the money that attracted people to, to come to the team or to, you know, to, to stay with the team. Cause it was just never 
like the money was never big enough to, to actually accomplish that, right? It was those those intangibles around it. Again, at least the, what we felt like was those pieces um, that would help us, again, retrain, retain the great players of God, but also, um, you know, a thing that we found is, you know, you're like one or two degrees of separation from every female footballer on the planet, right? So if somebody has a crappy experience with us, like somebody in Sweden is going to know that in 48 hours. And, yes. You know, and, and it's also true if they have a great experience, right? The players all talk, they all kind of know each other. And I think it gets around the good stuff and bad stuff. So, um, you know, again, not some utopia that we have have created, but you know, I think there's a, a desire to create that that um, you know that that perfect experience that, of course, we'll never get to. But we'll you know every day we try and like make it ever so slightly better, um, uh, and you know, over time that stuff adds up. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's always good intentions and, and even clubs that, you know, do well for a couple seasons. If you don't keep investing in that, hey, how are we treating people? How are we running things? Keep reevaluating, right? Like, you know, the, the deposits into the good faith account only last, you know, so long. Um, and, you know, and, and, and thinking of that, you know, one of the striking differences to me between like the 2015 Women's World Cup year and 2019, another Women's World Cup year, is just the rosters were bigger. The international replacement players, the NTR, the national team replacement players, were actually getting paid, right? Um, you know, and you had more players around available to train. Um, I felt like the teams weathered the World Cup absences so much better in 2019 than 2015, you know, be, because of all that growth. Um, but of course, there's there's some other great comparisons between between the two cycles. But you know, from from your perspective, how was 2019, you know, bigger and better than 2015? Even though both were incredibly successful years for the U.S. Women's National Team. Yeah, I mean, like it's uh, you know difficult to jog the memory um, on specifics. Uh, you know, looking that far back, but I, you know, I can't like we won the shield in '15, and you know, I do know we went into that, you know, super worried that, um, you know, whatever we were going to get you know, crushed during that period where the you know you know penal was going on, and um, you know, had multiple players that were out. I don't remember what it was, eight or something. Right. But, um, you know, like in '15. You know, Scotland didn't make the you know the World Cup, of course. So you know we had Kim Little, and oh by the way, Jess Fishlock, right, plays for Wales. She didn't go. So um, you know I think you know that year in particular, we were blessed um, you know with a group of like incredibly talented world class players that just happened to play for countries that um, you know that ended up in the World Cup. So that helped a ton. Um, and then, you know, in 19, I actually felt, you know, fairly bad for Vladko, right? That we, you know, I forget the number. I think we had 33 players in the roster in 19 as a result of injuries. So pretty much every week uh, I'm talking to them about, hey, look at this player. Hey, look at this player. And then we're, you know, almost bringing in a player a week to try and, um, you know, help us just work our way through um, the you know, sort of the injury crisis that we that we that we had in 19 so you were basically um, you know, carrying an nfl roster 
It was like, yeah, well, I mean, the team poster is ridiculous. Like it's, you look at it and it, it can only laugh because it was, you know, it was sort of, you know, giant, um, you know, group of players that we, that we had this year. So I think that one was, um, uh, th- that was an incredibly difficult year because of all the, you know, the, the change with it. I think it was really, you know, this, the, it, you know, but at some level showcased the genius of Blacker, right? Like I think his, one of his great gifts is figuring out how to put the pieces together. And, um, you know, I kept throwing new pieces at him and really out of necessity, but and he figured out how to make it work. And again, players really, you know, they, they, they really stepped up in that time that we got some, felt like every week there was a player that gave us a special performance to get that goal when we needed it or, you know, save a goal when we needed it. Um, so it was a, you know, it was an extraordinarily difficult year, but also, I think, a, a special year for us. And, um, you know, in general, comparing the two, and again, it's hard to, hard to remember exactly in 15, but I, I would say generally I felt like the standard was, you know, was better, didn't diminish as much during the, you know, the, the during the World Cup. And, you know, part of that was, I think, five teams got smarter about, A, planning for it going into it, but B, knowing that they had to fill those spots and, you know, see, we, we had the luxury in, you know, in 19 of being able to pay players. So, it, you know, obviously I think we we're going to get a, uh, sort of higher caliber of player than we were able to, you know, recruit in, you know, in 15. And, you know, again, the roster size was just, just bigger as well to start with. So that made it a little bit easier to, to manage through. Well, how about in the stands and in the community? Like, um, you know, as you mentioned, teams, you know, a little bit more prepared for dealing with the roster shortages in that cycle. But um, having gone through 2015, uh, you know, where the U.S. women win, and of course, it's it's a pretty short season back in summer 2015 when you come back and there's, you know, by the time they're back, there's basically a month in the regular season and just, you know, the three playoff games. I feel like Andibusel was much better positioned in 2019 to take advantage of whatever success came out of the Women's World Cup. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's uh, I think that's fair to say that if my recollection was that we had three games post World Cup um, in 15, and mm-hmm. obviously that you know I don't know what the attendance was you know two two and a half times greater than an average for that, so obviously got a huge. Um, bump from the, you know, from the World Cup. And, you know, I think we saw something similar in, you know, in 19. I think it was, there were more games. It was more sustained. I think we had, I want to say it was six after the, um, you know, the World Cup in 19. So, um, yeah, you know, and that, it all has a sort of knock-on effect for, you know, season tickets, you know, the following year as well. And obviously that did not play out exactly like we would have hoped, Um you know, in in twenty, given you know, COVID and our inability to play, like we didn't play a game in front of fans this season. So, uh, right. Um, so we probably lost a little bit of that m- momentum. Um, you know, that, that that would have been good to capture from nineteen. But you know, I think everybody in the league, and you know, I'm sure U.S. soccer as well, is hopeful of great performances at the you know Olympics in twenty one, and that you know back half of twenty one will will look great. Like, Feels like, seems like we're going to have fans in stadiums, um, you know, probably throughout the country, you know, by that August timeframe. So, um, you know, hopefully U.S. performs, we get a nice bump there. And, and again, that carries us into, you know, into 22, which will be our, 
you know, 10 year anniversary for the league. So I think that's going to be a, that's going to be a special year for the league. And, you know, got LA coming in. I think it's, uh, it's that that's going to be a big year for the league. Well, and talk about the shift to Tacoma from Seattle. Of course, the first season you guys were at the Starfire complex to you know, near, near the airport and then moving to downtown Seattle, which selfishly I loved because I was like, Ooh, I can travel to Seattle and I can take the monorail to the game, which I just, I, I loved that, that location as, as a visitor. Um, but big, big shift, you know, with the 2019 season and, and we all knew a venue change was coming for the rain because there were planned renovations for Memorial Stadium downtown. And, and of course, you know, it was turf. But talk about th- that decision to, you know, shift. It's like, you know, Tacoma's not like 10 minutes from downtown Seattle. That That's a shift for staff, players, and fans alike. But it seems like there's a lot more possibilities and opportunity with, you know, in terms of venue um, and and possibly market there. Yeah, I mean, look, I think sometimes um, you know we have not made it easier for people to love us, um, and you know the, the 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 move was you know a big piece of that. I know it was a you know sort of dagger to the heart of many to you know to move the team out of out of Seattle that we had you know many many fans that. Uh, you know, supported us in Seattle that the, you know, the, the new location, Tacoma, you know, they just couldn't, couldn't make it down to games and, um, you know, knew, knew that going into making that decision, but we just, uh, you know, we really had no choice. So, um, you know, I think going into the 18th season, really the beginning of the 18th season, um, you know, we knew with a fairly high degree of certainty that, um, it wasn't going to be able to be possible to play in in 19 in Memorial Stadium. But as you pointed out, there were discussions with the um, the school district had sort of tentatively planned and had communicated to us that they were planning to tear down the stadium, that tear down Memorial Stadium, and put up a new one, which it turns out ultimately didn't happen. Um, but that had been the sort of guidance they had provided initially. Um, you know, and then I think the league, um, you know, was, you know, I think m- m- more focused um, in part because the Osaka was more focused on, um, you know, the, the quality of the playing surface and to you know, a lesser extent, probably the, you know, the quality of the stadium itself. And, um, you know, we looked, you know, obviously making changes to Memorial Stadium, but the cost and then again the risk associated with you know, the thing may be torn down like that wasn't really possible you know we spent most of 18 looking at you know the potential venues right trying to scratch up anything that we thought could um you know address the challenge for us but um you know ultimately in the seattle market you know one of the you know i think one of the big challenges of operating a you know, a, a, a women's club or let's say a club that's not the Sounders here. And, um, you know, it's been there's just not a right size stadium for, you know, for what we're doing that, you know, for us, you know, probably 10 to 15,000 seats would be brilliant. And that venue just doesn't exist in this market. So, um, you know, so we ended up exploring Cheney Stadium down Tacoma, but, um, S2 and, and now that I think it's been down there for a season. So they, 
you know, sort of ha- they'd thought through the logistical challenges of how do we convert a field? How do you get a, you know, sort of a, a, a you know, full size pitch inside of a baseball stadium? All of those sort of operational logistical challenges that, um, you know, are not insignificant. They'd kind of already jumped through those hoops to make that happen. Um, so we had a lot of confidence when we looked at that. The stadium's actually a beautiful little stadium, been renovated about 10 years before, um, had all of the amenities of a, you know, of a, of a modern stadium. So, um, you know, both, both out of necessity, but also viewing it as an opportunity, we, you know, we made the move down there and I, you know, I think, you know, you know, you know, for the most part, we've, you know, we feel really good about that decision. I mean, the stadium has been what we hoped it would be, um, in terms of the experience it delivers to fans and, um, you know, again, there was a ton of momentum, you know, from an attendance perspective coming in the 19, it just, it's, it's hard to know how that would have played out in 20, but, um, you know, we're, we're actually feeling pretty good about coming in 21 and hopefully we can get some, some fans in the, you know, in the stadium as early as possible, uh, in the 21 season. And then, of course, you know, the big move coming into 2020 was announcing uh, the sale of the majority of the club to OL Group from Lyon. Um, and I think I remember reading that there was like an accidental conversation that happened at the final uh, in Lyon back in summer 2019. Uh, so, so talk about that transition. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a bit serendipitous. I think the... Um, you know, it had become, you know, clear through the transition, um, you know, down to Tacoma that to operate a NWSL team at the, um, you know, that at the level that we felt good about operating it, right, without cutting corners and diminishing that player experience, that it just required an investment that, um, you know, Teresa and I just, we just couldn't do it by ourselves, right, that it's, um, you know, it, it requires a massive ongoing, in, you know, investment every year. And, you know, the, the, the will was there to do that, but the capacity um, it was not. And again, it wasn't like we had a, a deadline of three weeks to solve it. Like, you know, we could, we could, we could do it for a while, but knew that that time was going to come where we had to make some sort of a transition. So we had, I think, made that sort of, you know, mental leap in our heads that, um you know, we, we, you know, we, you know, we'd like to have some sort of a, you know, a change to the ownership structure. Um, you know, our family was in, um, you know, France for the World Cup in in, in Lyon. Um, you know, for those games, and um, you know, the folks at OL had it previously inquired to the NWL about having an expansion team. So, um, you know, the league knew I was there, and um, Lindsey Barins, who's now with the league, was at. Um, Utah at the time was also in town, so they asked if hey we'd go you know meet with some folks from Leon just talking about the league and you know answer questions about expansion. So you know we took that meeting and um, you know really with the you know the view of you know OL being you know one of many potential expansion candidates for the future, but you know nothing you know really imminent. And then I got a call. I don't know, it was probably back a month or so after the World Cup got a call from um, uh, Sophie Savage, who's now um, on the NWSL board, represents OL. Um, you know, the, the two of us represent OL on the NWSL board. Um, got a call from her saying, hey, just curious, right, would you guys be you know, open to 
you know, a, a, you know, a, a sale of the club and you know, having already, you know, made this decision, you know, in our minds that we want to do something at some point, um, you know, took the call, had the conversations and, um, you know, I think it became, you know, pretty clear, pretty quickly that this was going to be a, you know, a, a, a very good match. Um, and, you know, for me, I think I was, uh, you know, sort of sold on the idea. Um, you know, I, I flew out to back to Leon, I think is October or something. Um, um, of well, looking back, I guess it would be October of 19 and, um, you know, to sort of have meetings to discuss things and, um, invited to us to a game or just me to a game and this is a PSG match and oh well. And, um, you know, I was, uh, sitting up and I guess it's the president's box or something. And, um, was sitting right behind Michelle Michelle and, um, you know, I was watching him during the game it was, you know, it, was, it had this sort of very sort of visceral response to what was going on in the game, right? His, his body's moving around and it's, you know, sort of gesticulating. And, and you could tell that he was emotionally connected to the outcome, right? That this was not just like an investment. That he's him, all right? in. The, the, yeah. Like he, he, it was, it's in his DNA, right? He like, he loves it. And, and, you know, and, and he's, he's backed that up with the resources, you know, of, of, of OL for, you know, the better part of the decade here. And obviously they've, you know, been the best team in the world for much of that time period. So, you know, I, I will, you know, say like, you know, those of you that have, you know, like seen me at a game or they used to, at Memorial, there was, we used to only have one side of the stadium open and I'd, I'd actually sit on the other side because I would, you know, I'm, I'm prone to outbursts that are inappropriate. <laughs> and so I wanted to be away from people. And, but I would, there's a theory over the dugout where I would sort of, you know, march back and forth in the games and just, it, I, you know, I felt the same way. Right. And that it was, there's this connection to what's going on there. Like you want to be out there, you want to be, you know, fighting the fight, obviously can't do that. But, um, you know, I felt like there was some, you know, this sort of shared, emotional connection to the game and wanting to see it succeed. So I've, you know, again, it was at that game right there. I mean, okay, well, this is, this is the right group to, um, you know, to be, to be partnered with and to like, they're the right stewards of, of, uh, you know, what Teresa and I have have tried to create here, right. They would care about it as much as we cared about it. And um, yeah, just, we, we knew it was the right thing at that point. Well, and I love that you guys didn't sell the whole thing. You sold most of it. You retained some ownership and you're still involved on a day-to-day basis. So it was, it was a very different, you know, message than when Western New York, York flash at the end of 2016 kind of said, Hey, we, we can't keep doing this. Right. Like, and they, they've stayed involved in their own way, but I like that this was like, we built this thing. We want to continue this thing. We want to be involved in this thing. Um, and we want to make it bigger. So we need this other group to help us, uh, you know, make it bigger. So it wasn't just a complete turnover. Right. You know, and, and I love that you're still accessible, um, you know, to, to, to talk about the club and, you know, to represent the club. Right. So there's, there's still like this homegrown feeling to the rain. Yeah. I mean, look, when we went into, 
you know, this sort of idea of well, what would be the perfect scenario for us personally, right? In you know, in 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 doing a sale and trying to also, you know, not make it like a selfish decision, right? That I think, um, you know, we viewed, you know, Trace and I viewed ourselves as stewards of the of the club, right? And so there, you know, there's a little bit of like this emotion check, right? I don't, you know, don't want to be involved, like for the right reasons, and. You know, I think ultimately and hopefully, obviously, we decided yes. But you know, like we are involved because we think we can play some role in making the team, you know, the league better through, you know, through our through our direct involvement in that. So the there was a you know for sure a strategic objective of in trying to locate a either investor or or buyer with somebody that you know would see value in our continued participation. Um, you know, in the team. And, and there were certainly some that we talked to that, you know, that, that wasn't going to happen. And, you know, I think with, with OL, you know, kind of a, you know, uh, an element of that, of the deal that made it even more compelling for us was that, you know, it wasn't, you know, not only did they, they sort of accept that as a condition, but I think they embraced it in, in, in believe there would be value in having, uh, you know, and me staying as CEO, Teresa still involved with the, you know, with the academy as well, which is sort of her, you know, her passion project. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I will say I've got a little, you know, I don't know, obsession. I think that um, will not be satisfied. Um, well, at a minimum, until you know we get to the promised land with the championship, and um, my suspicion is even when we get there, I will. One okay, well, one was nice, but now I want two, and you know, <laughs> then it's ten. So, um, and maybe doing this till I'm 106 years old, but um, yeah, I just, I, I, I definitely did not feel like um, we had accomplished everything that we needed to accomplish at the, you know, at the time of the sale, and you know, so I, I you know, both from you know me personally, I, you know, and I think for you know, the, the, the club as a whole, we wanted to, like, we wanted to get it there. We want to see it, you know, climb that mountain and see that success. And, you know, I, I would like very much to be a part of that when we, when, you know, when that day comes for us, uh, you know, hopefully it's in 21, but if it's in 31, right. I, you know, I still want to be there for, you know, for that day as well. Well, last question for you, Bill. And, and of course, it's pretty clear what your goals are for the club. But what would you say, what would be one or two good goals for the league in general as, you know, we move into this next Women's World Cup cycle, right? Like, we'll start seeing qualifying in 2022. Then we know the tournament will be summer 2023. And it just seems like a natural kind of cycle to to judge the, the, the league against. Um, but especially with Louisville, L.A., Kansas City returning, other expansion on the horizon, you know, when we get to the 2023 Women's World Cup, what, what do you want to be able to say about the league? Yeah, I mean, look, I think we've made massive strides um, in, in 20 in, in terms of the maturity of the league. And, um, you know, I give a lot of credit to, you know, to Lisa Baird coming in and, um, you know, really leading the way in those initiatives. And, you know, I will say give credit to the, you know, you know, fellow owners as well in that, you know, I think they were you know, both willing to allow her to lead, um, you know, and, and, but also go, you know, I think, you know, to, you know, to a team to support her in that process. And, 
and you know we we brought her in to do a specific thing and you know we've, we've tried to put the you know the pieces in place so that that she could be successful and i say that not, not to take any credit away from her at all because i think she has been you know really brilliant through the process that when she you know like her first day was i think it was the same day that the nba you know canceled you know that i guess it was a utah game if i remember correctly um, definitely same week um, yeah i mean like you know, just walked into um, insanity. And it's not like the league was this sort of high functioning operation where, you know, you could just plug her into the machine and everything would work great. Right. Like we were even in the best times, um, you know, I, I, you know, there, there were many elements of the league that were pretty dysfunctional. So she had to deal with that. She had to deal with COVID and thought she got in there. She was, you know, she took some chances, which paid off. I think she, you know, she took some risks, paid off. Um, um, you know, and, and came up with a pretty good plan, I think, to get us through the, you know, Challenge Cup, you know, like getting the deal done with, with CBS was, um, you know, you know, was obviously huge for us. I've been a great partner for the league, um, you know, and through the fall series. So there's been a lot of, um, you know, forward momentum, but more than anything, I feel like she has stabilized the league where I felt like it was, you know, it, it, there were there were definitely times where I felt like it was, you know, it was it was tippy, and um, I would not have imagined. Um, it just it would have been impossible for me to imagine that my view of the league would have changed as much, and you know, as it as it has in the twelve month period, and, and and I say that you know for the good. So, um, you know, now, you know, as I, you know, I look forward for the next couple of years. I think you know, sort of further maturing the organization. So for me, I, you know, I, I'd look at trying to create a sustainable culture within the league to, you know, keep, keep the best people, attract the best people, put in the, you know, the processes and infrastructure that's required to um, allow them to do their jobs at the highest level. I think for them to um, support all the teams and, you know, in doing what they're doing. Um, you know, I, I would expect expansion beyond what's, what's been announced, which I think will be positive momentum for the league. Um, you know, and then, I, you know, I'd, I'd like, and I believe the league will take a look at, um, you know, we, we talk a lot or, you know, often about, um, you know, the NWSL is the best league in the world. And, uh, you know, I think really understanding what that means, right. Quite, trying to break that down into, its component parts and then making sure that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're really living into that, right. That, you know, we, I think we, we do have the opportunity to be the, you know, the, the, the premier league of, you know, of women's soccer in the United States. And, but I don't think that there's any, uh, you know, that it can be taken away from us as well. Right. And, um, you know, we've seen leagues, WSL in particular, um, make some huge strides, um, you've got some huge spenders, um, you know, out there internationally now. I think whatever Spain spending money where they hadn't before, I think Italy spending money where they hadn't before. Right, right. Know, big, big three or four in England, right? Um, who have, you know, virtually unlimited pockets. Right. We have to be smart about um, how we manage our role in that 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 global, you know, women's soccer ecosystem. Right. We can't just have this inwardly facing view. Um, you know, we gotta we gotta think about ourselves in the context of of of, of global football because that's really the you know the flow of talent between teams and leagues is, is global. It's, you know, it's not, it's not just a um, you know a national thing for us. So 
I think those bigger, longer term, more strategic questions are, you know, one where as, you know, as soon as we stop throwing, you know, the crisis of the day at, at Lisa, I think she'll, uh, you know, have the chance to take two steps back, look at what those, right, pick those um, strategic challenges out. And I have no doubt that she'll come up with great solutions, solutions for us and, you know, lead us to maintain or, you know, or, 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 or truly achieve that, you know, that, that, that best, um, you know, league in the world status. Well, Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to talk NWSL, Seattle rain, rain FC, and now of course, OL rain. <laughs> um, and, and here's to you being involved in women's soccer until you're 106. I, I like that idea. Yeah, that might 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 be a little ambitious on my part, um, but I'm, I'm going to try and stick it out. So, uh, you know, as long as long as OL will have me, I, I, I'm I, I'm likely to stick around and see what we can do together. Time for a little gents planning, and this time the topic is. Who gets to play in the 2023 Women's World Cup? Sounds like a silly question, but basically it's how are the slots allocated among the confederations now that there are 32 teams for the 2023 Women's World Cup. So FIFA made the announcement right before Christmas, and here it is. Uh, Asia, the Asia Confederation will get five slots plus a slot for the host, and that host is Australia. Yes, it might sound weird that Australia Australia's in the Asian Confederation, but that's a Jen Splainer topic for another day. Africa gets four slots. CONCACAF, which is North America, Central America, and the Caribbean, gets four slots. CONMEBOL, which is South America, gets three slots. Oceania gets one host slot. Um, and UEFA, Europe, gets 11 slots. And there's an additional three slots to make up the 32 that will come from the playoff tournament. So this is the first time they're doing a like all-encompassing playoff tournament to decide the final slots for the, the Women's World Cup. In the past, there's been some playoff slots, but it's usually pre-assigned that, okay, the runner-up from this confederation will play the runner-up from this, this confederation. This time, what they're going to do is have a 10-team playoff tournament that will define, d- decide the final three spots. So within that tournament... You'll have two slots for Asia, and that would be the people that finish below the other slots for Asia, two slots for Africa, two slots for CONCACAF, two slots for Bowl, one slot for Oceania, one slot for Europe. Um, and that 10-team tournament will basically be a dry run for Australia and New Zealand as they prepare to host the Women's World Cup in summer 2023. If you need more information about that, you can always check out Wikipedia. You can always check out FIFA.com. And of course, as we get closer, more and more info will be available. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Amber Warren, Vice President of Lou City Ladies. And I'm so glad, Amber, that it's just Lucity ladies, so I don't have to butcher Louisville each time I say it because I've gotten a lot of crap for how <laughs> I've said it online. Um, but supporters group, social group founded in 2018. Let, let's talk about how you got into soccer and, and how this all evolved. 
So I got into soccer. I was actually discussing this with my husband because we always talk about my daughter who started when she was four. So that's uh-huh. kind of when I really got into it. But uh, he used to take he used to play for high school. And so when he graduated, he had a younger brother that would play. And I remember my very first uh, high school game, there was an ejection from the game and the player was heckled the entire way off the field. And I thought, I think I can enjoy this game. (laughs) (laughs) As weird as that sounds, like that was like my first embracement of soccer that I was like, yes, I think this is something that I could come to on a regular basis. I love it. A a red card is given and a fan is born. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He threw a trash can. So that was always entertainment. (laughs) Now, have have you been following uh, Louisville City a lot? Yes. So we've been season ticket holders since the end of the first season. Um, They actually had, I don't want to say it was like a bring soccer to Louisville kind of thing, but it kind of was that. Uh, So we joined that Facebook group and signed every petition that we could. Um, In 2014, we had a surprise pregnancy. So it kind of like put the soccer on the back burner for us. So we Uh did. I was going to have a newborn (laughs) beginning of their first inaugural season. So I didn't want to commit to season ticket holder or a season ticket holder position with a newborn. So that's why we waited until the end of the season when we realized that it was going to be something that we could do on a regular basis. So you guys have gone to a lot of games and you've, you've really followed this team. Yes, we have committed to this team. <laughs> and, and am I right in saying that Louisville has made the playoffs every season that they've been in USL? Yes, they have made the Eastern Conference playoffs every single season. That's amazing. And the stadium, it just opened in 2020. Yes, or or right before that? Yes, it was. It opened this season. So it it was delayed because of uh, the pandemic. Now, I've only seen it, you know, on, on broadcast for USL, but it looks really cool. And it looks like just that that right size, right? Like that sweet spot of 15,000, which I think is going to be great for NWSL. Yes, it is an awesome stadium. And unfortunately, we weren't able to get anywhere near its capacity in there this year. So I think we were up at 4,900, I think, for the games that we were allowed to have. And that's, you know, everybody's got that problem this year. So, you know, what I like about this year is you can't really judge anyone for their attendance, right? No one can right. be snotty and say, oh, you only had a couple of thousand. It's like, it's irrelevant <laughs> for, for this year. Uh, well, how much have you, you know, once you got into soccer, how much ha- had you followed U.S. Women's national team and or the NWSL? Uh, we went to our first U.S. Women's National Team game in 2017 at Nippert Stadium. And I think they were playing the Netherlands there. We took my daughter um, because it's in nice. Cincinnati. It's only like an hour and a half drive. It was. We went there. We came back. Um, the worst part about it was traffic. So... Um, well, and that's one of the things, uh, w- one of the reasons I think that Louisville is going to be a great franchise city long term is that you're kind of in the middle of things, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. 
you guys can reach a lot of locations easily and a lot of people east of the Mississippi can reach you guys too. And like very reasonable drives, really short flights kind of thing. Right. You know, um, I mean, we're a really reasonable drive to Nashville, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, obviously. Um, I mean, we went to Birmingham in 2019 because it's, a, you know, we get on 65 and we go that we're, we're pretty centrally located. So that's we, great. We, we, do have, we do have a small airport. Like it, it's, it's called a Louisville international, um, but it's only considered international because it, it, it flies to places that are international that for connect, <laughs> but you can get in and out pretty quick. So, I mean, that, that's a good thing. Well, and um, I just think, you know, the fact that you already have kind of this basis of the men's team that's done well, you know, this kind of local franchise that has its own venue, um, that's the right size. You know, I, I think Louisville really lucked out in coming into NWSL when they did, you know, the announcement fall 2019, the logo and, and official name announced last summer. Um, but how did you feel when you first heard that, Louisville was going to be the next team for NWSL. Uh, we kind of didn't really expect it. I mean, I think it had been mentioned once before and everybody was like, that would be really cool. And then it was officially released and we were all like, wow, we didn't really like, that wasn't something that we were expecting. We were really happy with the men's team. And then they're like, Hey, we're going to give you a bonus. We're going to give you an extra team. And I think everybody was really excited about it. Um, I don't know if bonus is the right word. <laughs> I feel like that makes it, <laughs> makes it sound like it, it's it's not independent of the men's team, but um, I would I would just say an unexpected you know gift kind of you know that's what I was thinking. Like gift was actually in my head. Like it was like, hey, we have a gift for you. We have another team coming in, and yeah. I mean, I I can relate, and and I'm sure my listeners are probably sick of hearing me talk about Houston soccer history, but um you know, when the the Dynamo were moved to Houston from San Jose uh, late 2005, it was just like, hey, you're getting an MLS soccer team for Christmas, right? Something I never thought would happen. Something that this day and age would never happen like that anymore. Like we would have, now we would have to have a major investor and venue and stuff like that to even get started. And then several Decembers later, um, you know, I've, I'd always dreamed about having a women's team in my hometown. It's like, oh, sudden announcement, <laughs> Houston's getting an NWSL team. So I, I totally understand that, like, wasn't even expecting it, you know, couldn't well, have asked for anything better. <laughs> right. I see all these other locations that petition, you know, they like the LAFC or not LAFC, I'm sorry, uh, Angel City FC bring, um, NWSL to LA. So right. I, see, I see those those kinds of cities and that's not where we were. So I don't think that that's something that we were totally or completely expecting. It was, it was, it was unexpected on my part anyway. I think there was a few out there that probably could say that they knew that it was going to happen, but. Well, and I think the biggest thing I first learned when, once I started following soccer and, and starting to delve into the business side was, you know, it's not like the league is sitting in some office with a big map saying, hey, where are we going to put a, a team? It's more about 
you know, business proposals coming from different cities that, that they consider and go, okay, you know, do you have a venue? Do you have sponsors? You know, the all, you know, how, how, how deep are your pockets? You know, all those kind of financial questions. And, and that's why I wanted to mention like location wise, I think, you know, Louisville's kind of, kind of in that sweet spot. And, one of the things that I really liked about the addition of Louisville was just like the North Carolina Courage, it's partnered with a men's team, but it's not partnered with an MLS men's team. It's partnered with, you know, by being USL, you know, you're on that tier just beneath MLS. I feel like those clubs have had to work harder for exposure, promotion, you know, um, and I, I feel like what I've seen in North Carolina and everything I've seen so far at Louisville, it's, it's, it seems like it's very equal in how they treat the men and women's as opposed to initially what we saw with some of the MLS teams that had women's teams was like, oh, it's an afterthought. We could, you know, let's just throw that on because we've got a big enough front office. We can make it work. Right. Right. Um, So I I just I feel like the attitude is different with the the USL and WSL partnership. But but let's talk about let's talk about Lou City Ladies Um, founded in 2018. So obviously before uh, Racing Louisville was, you know, set. So tell me about the founding of Lou City Ladies. What was the primary motivation behind, you know, founding the group and also having it be a women's only group? So we were kind of a a mix between a women's social group and a community outreach group and an unofficial supporters group. Um, Things that we do when there isn't a pandemic is um, (laughs) (laughs) we do a ladies night. We try Uh and do that once a month. Um, We try and pick a trip once a year so like they've been to new orleans we were supposed to go to i think chicago this year so obviously that got canceled um but we 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 vote so it's between i think chicago and new york and i forget what the third one was but chicago was what won for this year i'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. so those are some things like that's kind of where we were in the beginning when it was unofficial it was just like this this group of women who like soccer you know every other saturday we're together um and and for some of those like me I'm a wallflower so I kind of need people when I go to places I don't know if Yeah I know what you mean <laughs> Yeah so I mean my husband is he's type A he can talk to, talk to anybody and it's it's not uncommon for him to tell me he's going to go get a beer and disappear for an entire half and so for me <laughs> <that's> something <laughs> that it makes me anxious, but if I know people, then it's better. So this, this, this started like for some, like this, this really helped me because it, it helped me meet people that were like me, kind of like in a low risk environment, because a lot of it's done online. And then you get, you, you know, you see each other on Saturdays, that kind of thing. Um, but then we started talking more about it because we knew that racing was coming. We knew we were going to be getting some announcements over the summer. Um, the, and the USL team had just started playing and I think the bubble had just started playing in July ish, June, July. And we started talking and asking each other, you know, do we want to go official? And we knew that was something that we wanted to do. We wanted to make sure that we gave, um, our people kind of like a voice in the community, right. um, to be heard without shouting basically. Um, 
And so by establishing like a supporters group uh, for women, trans women and those who identify as femmes, we can provide like a low risk, safe environment for women who love soccer or are new to soccer to ask questions and voice their ideas, opinions and concerns, you know, about the game and things like that. And um, basically get involved in our soccer community and our Louisville community. So that was our main goal. Well, and, and I think it's great that you had this group that was already established, already had, you know, a couple seasons under its belt before it was official that Louisville was happening, you know, and then to have another year where you can do some planning. Um, and and Louisville is the first expansion franchise <laughs> in league history that you know, got 18 months or gets 18 months before it'll play its first game, right? Houston and Orlando, uh, you know, were both announced the fall before a spring launch. The ones that happened very suddenly, like Western New York Flash moving to North Carolina, Kansas City moving to Utah, now Utah back to Kansas City. Obviously, those are, you know, much shorter turnarounds. Um, But I love that Louisville's had this time to you know, plan a launch, which means that you guys have had time to go, okay, what do we want to do? You know, so, so what, what's been the plan for, for 2021? (laughs) We don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. We're kind of taking it as we can. Like we don't know what to expect yet, you know? Um, and it's so tough, of course, I mean, we have to say in a pandemic, you know, that, that exactly. like, I, I'm sure if we weren't dealing with 2020, then you guys could probably be putting some more concrete things, you know, in place. But, you know, what's been what's been some of the feedback you've gotten, like, you know, social media wise or just, you know, that once the, you know, logo and official name were announced last summer and then the expansion draft last month, I mean you would have had to see some pickup maybe in followers or engagement. Oh yeah. We saw a lot of pickup and engagement. Um, after they announced the name and the logo, I think they said it was something like a hundred close to a hundred percent positive engagement about. Awesome. Yeah, it was, it was pretty nice. Um, so I think we, I know we saw an increase in um, membership, but then again, it's, it's, it's not the increase that we we would get if we were obviously um, co-ed, but um, right. we, we do have the Lavender Legion. So they formed after um, the announcement, they formed mm, end of July, early August. Um, uh-huh. But so they, they have we, we have a second official supporters group. So we have a lot of positive um, engagement as far as the, you know, the women's team goes. Um Everybody's excited to get the season started, even though we don't know what that's going to look like, whether it means we're going to have tailgates or we're going to be able to go meet at places. Um, That's something that we are looking at right now is a place that we can go and meet before the game. So we've got we've got quite a few uh, things we have to check off to make that happen. So because a lot of us have kids, so we can't just go to a bar. We have to make it somewhere that's kid friendly, too. Well, I th- I think that's so key um, because, you know, the place where I've been organizing watch parties for Dash Away games since the beginning has been a place that um, counts as a restaurant so that it's, 
you know, up until 10 p.m., it's, you know, all ages, right? Because mm-hmm. X, X amount of its business is food, so it counts as a restaurant, even though, you know, it does have a bar. Because I always wanted to be able to say, you know, it's, it's like all ages welcome, right? Without right. having to, without having to be like, oh, we're at Chuck E. Cheese. No, we're, you know, we're, we're like at, at a place that everybody will enjoy. And, and I think that's, that's so important, right? Because there's no reason to kind of, you know, make it so niche that where it's like, oh, we're only, we only want people who are, you know, urban singles of a certain age, right? Or we only want men, or we only want this, or, you know, or it's, well, or it's only people with kids, right? It's like, right. no, you want, um, you know, you want, you want to be open as much as you can. And of course, and that being said, like, I, I do find it really fascinating that you guys are a women's only group. And of course, I didn't realize until we first spoke that, um, Blue City Ladies predates um, Racing Louisville because I didn't hear about it until after um, the announcement of the Andy Bissell franchise. So I like that it's it's a group that is like almost independent of the clubs, right? Where it's like this would be a social group for soccer regardless of whether there were clubs in the city almost. Does that make sense? Yes. Right? You know, so it's like, hey, these are women soccer fans in the area, you know, and so then you can be supporters of the USL side and now the end of yourself side. And, and of course work with uh, lavender Legion and, and any other group. So what has been the contact with lavender Legion at this point? Uh, well, we just finished a toy drive for uh, Kentucky refugee ministries. It was, we, we call ourselves the purple family. So that, and that now includes Racing Louisville <laughs> because you have we have a few supporters groups on the Lou City side. So we have the Coopers, Scouse House, um, Sheep's Pen. I know I'm going to forget one and I'm going to be in trouble for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the one that I can remember right now. So um, but we all every every December we have a all supporters Christmas party. Nice. That means, I mean, even if, even if you're not affiliated with an SG, you can come. Um, it's not dependent on your membership status. You nice. can bring, the only thing that we, the only thing that we ask is that you bring a gift for Kentucky Refugee Ministries. And then every Christmas, well, not obviously Christmas, but before Christmas, we go drop that off to them. Um, so this year it included the Lavender Legion. And we we made our biggest donation this year to them. Even with the pandemic, we uh, have some pretty amazing women on our team that really dug in and found innovative ways to make it happen still from having packages upon packages delivered to their house (laughs) and picking up packages from the team store. So the, the, the FO even got involved in it. The front office let us drop off a bin and they helped us uh, collect things in the team store. Well, I just love that it's obviously a collaborative effort because, you know, it it is possible and and, and I've seen it where groups can work against each other, right? And you kind of forget that, hey, we're all trying to support the same thing. So it's it's wonderful. There's there's already this infrastructure uh, of groups in Louisville that, you know, are working together like that, already have projects and events like that. Um, So the fact that all of this exists before Racing Louisville has played its first game is just really, really cool. So I I don't, I don't know. I, 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 
Like I said, I'm pretty new to the NWSL, so I don't know how other things get started. I think Angel City FC is probably going to see the same things that we have since they have such a long time to prepare. But, you know, we're already established, so we already have, I guess, a good foundation to come in on as, mm-hmm. as supporters go. Mm-hmm. Like there's no there's no building a um, a fan base. You already have an established fan base here. Yeah, no, no starting from scratch. And and I also think the advantage of a city size of Louisville is that you're not competing for nearly as many against nearly as many entertainment interests as a market like L.A., right? which is right. so huge. There's so much to do. There's so many entities. Um, this is where, you know, it may seem counterintuitive, but sometimes smaller is better. Um, uh, I remember a friend of mine who had been to Orlando right as Orlando Pride were kicking off and came to Houston for the first time and then said, I don't get it. Everywhere I was in Orlando, I couldn't avoid seeing Pride things. And I don't really see that. In Houston, I'm not seeing a lot of dash. I said, well, Houston's huge compared to Orlando, not just population-wise, but geographically spread out. You know, I, I said, or- Orlando's actually a pretty condensed space and, you know, has negotiated some really good partnerships, right? So I, I kind of feel like, you know, Louisville will have the same opportunities, again, because you've got this established infrastructure and you've got you know, the, the men's club already has been, you know, working in the community that it's 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 easier to get some of those started, right? Like Angel City FC isn't directly partnered with any, you know, any club in L.A. Um, they've certainly got a lot of power behind them, right? right. But right. they're going to have to pay a lot more to get to, you know, to get the word out. But but back to your your team, the, the Lavender team, what did you think uh, when they announced the official name and, and the logo and the color? I did not expect mint. Let me go ahead and throw that out there. Um, <laughs> very happy with mint. <laughs> I think that was the one that everybody was the most excited about. Um, we knew that being the Derby City, it was going to have something to do with the Derby. Um uh-huh when they met to talk about like what, what the fans were looking for. And I think they, they were pretty adamant, like try to stay away from horses <laughs> as much as you can. <laughs> yeah. So I think you yeah. did a phenomenal job picking the name and making it work without making it too much overt derby. <laughs> I know. Like, could you imagine if it was like, you know, Louisville Phillies or something silly like that? You know? Well, that yeah. was, that was thrown out there. <laughs> you're, you're like, you're like, no, no, just no. Yeah. I like, uh, I liked uh, that they, when they, I like that we got to announce it during the challenge cup last summer, you know, I was on the, the broadcast team for that. And that was so fun to have something like that. Like here it is. And you can buy the stuff, you know, and it's a logo and that it wasn't something that had to be, so rushed and the expansion draft last month i loved that it was something we could actually do a broadcast for right it wasn't just a conference call and a list gets posted Um, so so tell me your reaction um you know following that um you know i know you haven't followed a lot of nwsl previously so you know were there players where you're like cool or was it more like okay now i need to research that player 
yeah, it was kind of like I need to I need to start watching more games. So now now I know who to look for. Um, obviously, I knew Yuki and McCaskill. Uh-huh. Um, we did watch uh, the Women's World Cup, and then we did follow the NWSL because I think ESPN Plus picked it up after the World right. Cup. So right. we had to watch those games because the USL plays on ESPN Plus. But right. I'll, I'll be honest, up until this year, I did not know where I could watch it on a regular basis. Um, it was something that I researched, but I was just like, I don't know where to go. Um, yeah. And I think and that's- even, even if you go to the website, like I, I kind of wish there was a link that just says how to watch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. yeah. We just had like a, NWSL, how to watch for dummies book or something. <laughs> which streaming services do you need right now? <laughs> yeah. Which ones do I have to pay for? <laughs> yeah. Which ones do I not have to pay for? And where are all of them archived? Because what a lot of newer fans don't realize is that for the first four seasons, when all the teams did their own broadcasts, you know, those were all done on YouTube, except for, you know, usually the playoffs and maybe a couple of regular season games per year were, you know, picked up by Fox or ESPN. So like 95% of the first four seasons still sits on YouTube, which is so awesome. That's where I found them. So that's where I've been trying to get caught up. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's perfect thing to do. We're all stuck. We're all stuck at home, right? You know, you run out of shows to binge watch. There's, you know, 750 NWSL games sitting on YouTube. My family has kind of gotten to the point where they walk downstairs and they're like, are you really watching soccer? <laughs> so, like, yeah, live with yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, last, question, last question for you, Amber. Uh, you know, what do NWSL fans need to know about Louisville as a city? Um, and, and how we should pronounce it. <laughs> how, what, what, what would you want to tell someone who's never been there before about like why it's a great city? So I had to ask around because I am born from, uh, I, I was born here. So I guess you can't get any more accurate than how I say it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I say it Louisville. Uh-huh. Okay, so, good. Good. I, I now have that recorded. That. I really hope my accent like doesn't ruin your podcast. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just, I was getting grief last month. Someone was saying, you keep saying Louisville. It's Louisville. No, 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 e. no e. Yeah. Right. Even though it's, yeah, even though it's King Louis, it's not, it's not Louis. No, it's yeah. Louis. Yeah. So you say Louis and then, uh, and then it's Vol. Perfect. Or you can even say Perfect. Bill. You go with Bill too. Like, well, <laughs> um, I think people generalize Louisville because it's in Kentucky and they don't realize that it's in Kentucky, but it's not your stereotypical what's represented by Kentucky. So no one here votes for Mitch McConnell. Usually you're going to be hard pressed to find somebody. (laughs) 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 We get just as upset as you all do. (laughs) So Well, I, I feel you. Louisville is like the settling spot for a lot of people. People think that they're just going to pass through and stay here for a little bit. And then they stay for a long time. Um, like my friend, she uh, I asked her specifically because she is actually originally from North Carolina. She went to med school in Birmingham and then they moved up here for her husband to finish med school at L. 
And I asked her, I was like, what made you stay here? And she said, basically, it's a medium sized southern city that's kind of in the middle of everything. Yeah. And you don't want for anything like everything that she could think of that would that would be something that she would want in a city was here. So, I mean, we have a lot of different things to offer. And and now you have women's pro soccer. We have women's pro soccer. We have a nice stadium. I mean, really, really, what more could you want? (laughs) Right. Yeah. A relative of mine is a relative of mine is moving to to Sacramento. And and I I said, I'm thinking there's going to be women's pro soccer there very soon. I expect you to buy tickets and I'll be staying at your house when there are games. (laughs) But you were you were gonna say? Um no, I was oh uh we also have um the Yum Center. So we have like a bunch of concerts too. So, I mean, we, we do have quite a bit of things that you can do here besides soccer. So if you wanted to make like a week of it, you can come stay and kind of plenty of there. And weather-wise, would you say it's like North Carolina? Would you say maybe it's a little more like D.C., New Jersey or closer to Chicago in weather? Uh, well, today it is, I think, 36 degrees right now. It Basically, Louisville weather is if you don't like it, just wait three hours and it'll change. <laughs> so, all right. we have all right. so it's in Valley. the middle. Yeah, it, yeah, it's got all those different fronts coming through and yeah. But you don't have, you don't have like the big mountains, so you're not dealing with Colorado or Utah issues. No, um, people don't know how to drive in a dusting of snow here. So... <laughs> <laughs> Black Love ice it. usually gets us. <laughs> Love it. Well, Amber, good luck with with everything for 2021 with the launch of Racing Louisville um, and and with Lou City Ladies. I think it's a great concept, and and I hope you guys, you know, keep going strong. I hope so too. We're gonna try. That's our goal. <laughs> All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First and foremost, thanks to everyone who bid on the national team jersey masks that uh, Footy Masso kindly sewed out of the jerseys that I bought. <laughs> Looks like we raised about $350 for Soccer Without Borders. If you're not sure what Soccer Without Borders does, check them out online. An amazing organization with a lot of uh, former NWSL players involved. Second, uh, Almanacs, the Almanac that I feel like I'm constantly working on and never getting closer to finishing. Uh, you can pre-order it now. Uh, there's also the, the Challenge Cup booklet that I made to celebrate the Dash win. Um, and I do plan sometime this spring to put together an, a women's Olympic soccer uh, almanac. But you can check out previews of all of them, pre-order them, order older ones. Just go to keepernotes.com and click on store. And speaking of keepernotes.com, if you want to keep up with recent NWSL trades and player acquisitions, you definitely want to keep a bookmark on the, the Google sheet uh, under Woso Nerd Links. So that's that's one of the most popular pages on KeeperNotes.com is Woso Nerd Links. You've got the rosters by club. You've got draft history. You've got a draft worksheet. You've got all-time um, 
box scores. Well, actually, you've got a couple seasons worth of box scores. Lots of great stuff. So check out the Woso Nerd Links at KeeperNotes.com. And last but definitely not least, the 2021 NWSL Draft is coming up in just a little more than a week, and it will be live-streamed, though everyone will be in many different places. All the teams will be streaming from uh, wherever they're based. Uh, and then we'll have a studio stream coming from, uh, Florida and it'll kick off at 7 PM Eastern, 6 PM central on Wednesday, January 13th. You can watch live for free anywhere, uh, on twitch.com. That's going to be really cool. There will be 40 players whose rights will be chosen by NWSL clubs. Um, And hopefully pretty soon we'll start to see lists from the league of players who have declared for the draft. Keep in mind, if you don't declare uh, as you leave college, you can't play in the league that first year. All right. That's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Want to thank everybody for listening, for sharing, for sending feedback. Uh, Many thanks to the Beautiful Game Network for hosting. And as always, many, many thanks to Sean for making this podcast possible. But now she's anybody's girl. You know she's anybody's girl.